Welcome to the RSP cast. And today, I think we've got the best stack in fantasy football going on right here when it comes to just overall value for what you can get in return. I mean, you get you get the reception perception and you get the RSP and you get that all in one here to start off with. So it's just my pleasure to really have you know Matt Harmon here as my guest this week on the RSP cast. We're going to talk about reception perception, um, wide receivers, and of course, also what it's like kind of starting out on your own and advice that, you know, that Matt could give, you know, in his first year doing this, putting his product out there as kind of a sole proprietor, LLC, you know, kind of deal for that thing. So Matt, thanks again for rejoining me here. I appreciate it, Matt. And uh, listen, if we can if we can actually get a good stack out of two mats in the whole uh, fantasy football situation, since there's about 30 of us, I think that really just goes to show uh, how unique uh, the two of us are in, in what we do. <laughs> I got to say, we may not have unique names, but I think our game's pretty no. unique. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, you know, congratulations, you know, first of all for – for taking reception perception in house and making it your own deal on a level where you've got your own site, you've launched the site. It looks fantastic. I'd love for you to tell the audience here who listens, you know, who are my regular RSP faithful for the, the few who are not reception um, perception subscribers, (laughs) what it is that they can find with this new site and, and what's going on. Yeah, well, number one, thank you, of course. I, I appreciate all the kindness you have shown me through the years with this project. You know, one of the people I had I reached out to to write a testimonial for for the site. Um, you're the man. You know that. And uh, for all the people out there, you know, just from a starting point too, reception perception is something I, I've been doing. I've been working on behind the scenes up until it got released in 2000 the summer of 2014 first public article that went out this is something i've been working on since 2013 you know trying to refine the process trying to um really investigate wide receiver play in a different manner and you know it was on backyard banter my original site it's traveled to um Football guys, obviously, had a stint there, uh, traveled to the Washington Post, you know, uh, obviously was with the fantasy footballers and their draft kit for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, life and, and, and business especially tends to just find a way to guide you along things and i think this was the natural for a lot of different reasons it was the time for it to go independent you know the boring behind the scenes stuff there but i think when it finally came time to realize like this thing was going to go to its own site this thing was going to be its own offering i was very gassed up about it but you know also a little bit uh nervous as well too and you know we can get more into that on like the advice section of like what you know what uh how you can kind of build something like this but most of all, I was just excited and I'm still very excited that you can type in receptionperception.com and it goes to a website that I own and operate and curate and is all, you know, within my control. <laughs> That's pretty exciting. So the new site is, I think the best part about it is that it's easy to navigate because, you know, in previous content offerings, I thought it was kind of difficult. Like if you want, wanted to find information on Curtis Samuel, you know, you can go to receptionperception.com, pop it in the search bar, like Curtis Samuel, his last two player profiles show up. You find him on the sortable data tables. I tried to really make that um, as easy as it can be because you know this from like just even watching your own like Twitter mentions and stuff like that. You know, people want to use your thoughts from the RSP as like kind of a backing to their own point, you know, right? Like, like, hey, Matt Waldman says this about Trey Sermon in the RSP. Like, so, you know, eat that in, in, in like a debate on Twitter or something like that. And I definitely think that people want to use reception perception for the same thing or any stat for the same thing. So I wanted to make things easy to find on the site. And that's a bit of big, um, I think it's a bit of big selling point for people too, just the easy to navigate thing. But basically if you want any information, reception perception on a receiver, it's on the site. You know, we have sortable data tables, the player profile pages. James Coe and I do a weekly live show that is just for subscribers that you can find on the site. And also for the first time ever, this is something I've never done. 
and was almost in a way a little bit nervous because um you know you're just putting everything out there you can get access to every player i've ever charted for reception perception via the historical sortable data table so and i think that's pretty cool though like if you want to track alan robinson's entire career through reception perception you can find that information now on the sortable data tables and i didn't know if people would care about that stuff um i can go on the dashboard and see that people care <laughs> so that's nice to see uh but yeah basically i i wanted it to be an all-in-one content offering for reception perception profiles analysis the audio show the video show um everything is there and and i've um i've really loved it so far and i've been glad to see that people are so gassed up about it as well yeah congratulations i'm just thrilled to see it and it's great that you've got you know the whole package together of being able to provide you know the data being able to provide information on your site as well as catering to your 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 subscribers with an exclusive podcast that's just fantastic and having james aboard as a host or co-host is fantastic because obviously he's a veteran of this industry who does yeah. fantastic work um so it, that's awesome so let's get into let's get into some wide receivers here i mean i yes. i have to ask because i know you did this a little bit on your show but i i just have to ask about brandon Ayuk. like when i watch <laughs> when i watch brandon Ayuk. You know, coming out of Arizona State, there what I remember seeing some former DBs saying his game grew on me because the you know it didn't look as good on the surface as it is you know up close. And then when I watched his game, I felt like there's some good things there, but it's kind of limited at this stage. And then I seen with the 49ers, and it's easy to on a surface level to write him off as. He's a glorified running back. He and Debo are basically guys who who get the ball behind or near the line of scrimmage, and that's their role, and that's it. But where does Brandon Ayuk differ from Debo Samuel, and why is he, you know, rated as highly, you know, in your analysis? You know, it's funny. I think you and I actually had pretty similar thoughts about Brandon Ayuk coming into the league. I think um, I was and I believe based on last year's RSP, you know, you can correct me if I'm misquoting you, but I think we both kind of carried similar reservations about um, his work against press coverage. Like I thought he would be a, a great, I actually thought he would be a very good vertical receiver based on if when he was working against like off man coverage, working yes. as a flanker on the outside, you know, because he really d does have those. And you can see this even in his uh, final collegiate season that he had those great deception moves in his arsenal to um you know trick a cornerback that he was going to snap back before taking him vertical and, and you even saw some of those plays like watching him against the bills last year i remember that like live primetime game type of thing um but still was not sure that he would be anything more than a splash vertical guy and like a create a touch gadget player much like i think debo samuel is kind of is kind of that guy i figured he would be that player and you know from like a fantasy analysis standpoint is like, okay, well, yeah, I have all these concerns, but like, he's going to Kyle Shanahan, like Shanahan will create plays for him. Uh, so that was kind of my analysis on him coming into the NFL, which is why uh, in his reception perception profile, I talked about him as one of the biggest like surprises. And to me, one of the biggest risers after the charting process, because I expected him to be good on some of those layup plays where he can get yards after the catch, get open in space, um via the offensive system but man um you go back and watch him and he's not really that guy like he's actually out there winning against press man coverage at like the 88th percentile against man coverage and wow. reception perception i think he is a guy who he fits like i said i expected him to be sort of maybe a souped up golden tate type of player coming into the nfl um you know wins those splash plays down the field occasionally but is mostly you know a yak guy but yeah i think he is a true x receiver that will win as a number one on the outside based on what he did as a rookie like anytime you're looking at a player who finishes um at that sort of percentile against man coverage there is not many historical failures in that uh, like if you bet usually if a player finishes at that threshold in reception perception and you bet against them you lose like you lose those bets more often than you don't maybe you get a sterling shepherd in there somewhere and he you know shepherd's an eye player but like he's not a superstar or whatever i think Ayuk could be a superstar like i think he is that type of budding player because of his ability 
to win against press man coverage as a rookie and, you know, comparing him to Debo Samuel and like, I think if you don't like Debo Samuel's game, like you probably don't like football very much because like he is a fun player to watch. He's a bully. He's a badass. He's great after the catch. But yeah, Debo to me is an interior receiver and a, and a gadget type of guy that wins against zone coverage and is obviously awesome after the catch is obviously a physical presence. You know, he's going to be, I think when whenever Trey Lance gets in there, he's going to be an important player for Trey Lance because he can create those layups and everything like that, those confidence builders. But um, it's similar to the dynamic I always go back to is like Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown. Like you want to run your offense through the separator on the outside that wins vertically and plays the X receiver position more than you do your big, tough, physical slot receiver. And I think we've seen – Juju over the last couple of years get marginalized for other big play receivers on the outside. Like the Steelers are consistently trying to find that player after Antonio Brown left. And they have some good guys in Deontay Johnson and uh, Chase Claypool. But yeah, to me, I, I, I just look at those two guys. And while Debo is a really good young player that I like a lot, I think if you're betting on like an archetype, you want to bet on Brandon Ayuk's archetype. And again, I'm still very, very surprised based on what I thought of him as a college player that he's become this guy so quickly. Yeah, and I just have one follow-up question with that. How's Ayuk's sample size for press compared to other top receivers that in the past year? Not career-wise, because obviously he's only had one year played. But was it, it, was it on par enough that you're like, I feel legitimately good about that sample size? Or was it like anything that you would have to put a red flag next to and say, just keep in mind, it's a little smaller so it's a high it's a high percentage, but the small the sample size is smaller. Yeah, he's at like about twenty three point four percent of his routes against press coverage, which is right around sort of like the middle of the pack in terms of NFL okay. receivers. So, you know, you've got guys like, for example, Amari Cooper or Robert Woods. You know, those guys are down there like twelve or thirteen percent. Those are your flanker type of receivers. You know, that move around. I mean, those two guys especially get a lot of pre snap motion stuff like that. Um, but typically of your X receivers, he's up there right around the middle of the pack. Not quite, you know, A.J. Brown or something like that. You know, Julio Jones, those guys are both plus like 30% as true elite number ones. You know, maybe um, Ayuk sees more of that in his second year. I think you could you could argue that. But, yeah, to me that's not enough of like a, a small sample to really worry about it. That's, like I said, right around the middle of the pack. And, again, success rate-wise was very high up there. Nice. So let's stay in the division because I have two more – players I want to talk about and you just mentioned one of them and that's Robert Woods because his his yards after the catch declined basically by two yards over the span or over two yards over the span of the last two years he's still been a very productive receiver for fantasy football um, but I think that their lack of having multiple downfield threats like not yeah. having Watkins, not having Cooks, um, not having an offensive line to be able to protect Goff. Um, that creates some issues where they do have to get rid of the ball faster. And Woods Woods' game suffered because when he was at his best two, I think it was two years ago or three years ago now at this point, you know, he was you could look at his just yards per catch average and see that this is a guy that was getting mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities downfield. What do you expect with Stafford this year? Yeah, this is a, one of the most fascinating teams to talk about. And, you know, when you go back and watch the 2020 Rams, take, just take the quarterback position out of it for a second. Like, you know, your thoughts, people's thoughts on Jared Goff or, or, or whatever. When I watch the 2020 Rams, I'm like, man, the one player that they could really use is the player that they just traded away in Brandon Cooks. I'm like, I get why they had to do that. You know, like they had to do it from a salary cap perspective. Cooks had injury questions. They also got a second round pick for the guy out of the Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby brain trust down there in Houston. So it was a good deal that they kind of had to make. Is but that at the like same central time, man, intelligence or? Uh, I mean, uh, intelligence is one is okay. one way to put it. Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> yeah, but like you look at those, you look at that Rams offense, it's like, man, they could really use a downfield vertical threat. And I actually think Goff is like, I don't think Goff is as, you know, is a great quarterback or like a, a real high end starter, but I almost think he got too much crap for Agreed. for last year. And it's not like because people think he, I don't know if it's from like a mental perspective or whatever it was, but Goff at least like 
he can sling the ball. Like he doesn't have like a pop gun arm or anything. I think sometimes he can get in his own head. I think he sometimes um, showed like a lack of willingness to throw the ball downfield. But again, they also had no vertical threats last year. Um, I like Robert Woods a bit as a downfield receiver, but he should not be your best downfield receiver. You know, um, he Cooper cup obviously is playing I've talked about this in reception perception a lot. He's playing one of the most unique roles in the entire NFL where he's used almost as like a big tight end. See so little press uh, man coverage. Sean McVay has designed a great role for him. I think that's one of McVay's great coaching successes is finding this role for Cooper Cup that gave so many answers to his quarterback. I actually can't wait to see what the Stafford Cup dynamic looks like um, because I think Cup could even get loose on some you know deep posts or or digs out of the slot and could create a lot of big plays like that um i am really interested to see that dynamic in particular and the robert woods one as well but to me i think you know stafford obviously great vertical passer has the big arm all that he he led the nfl at air yards for the first eight weeks that he was healthy in 2019 i think he still has that ability in him but I think one of the biggest underrated keys of the Rams offense is who's going to be the number three receiver. Um, is it going to be like 150 pound Tutu Atwell? I don't know about that. I don't know that he's like going to be, you know, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, Waldman's over there shaking his head. So like, I don't know about that. <laughs> is Deshaun Jackson going to be like, if Deshaun Jackson could play 13 games and play like 50, you know, 13 games is like, and I'm being generous, but even if he's like just out there for, 15 snaps or 20 snaps like I don't think he's going to be out there running 80 percent of the routes or something like that I think that could be a big deal Van Jefferson is a guy that I really want to look at here in reception perception soon like is he you know does he show anything as a rookie to lead you to believe he could be a vertical receiver because someone I think has to emerge to threaten this offense vertically because last year you watched the Rams and it's just that like box you know short middle of the field Defenses could start crowding it. That takes away guys like Robert Woods or takes away guys um, like a Cooper Cup uh, too much for a, and for a guy like Goff that wasn't pushing the ball downfield. So I think someone else has to emerge from this offense, and I, I really am not sure who it's going to be. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm, I've been kind of on this rant against Sean McVay for about two years now. Um, I don't know if you know <laughs> this because he's so popular of a – of a coach and he's been great with creating a scheme, but he's, he's awful at adjusting. Like yeah. you can say he adjusted with Cooper cup, but when, when someone like little old me can get on like football guys during their super bowl year and say, Hey, the Detroit lowly Detroit lions stifled their offense. Oh, and then the bears did it the next week. And then another yeah. team did and it a week it after kept that happening. Yeah. And then they go into that, Super Bowl with no game plan whatsoever that has any tweaks to it against a chess yeah, master. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to blame golf. I mean, golf's going to have his mistakes and he share, he's one of the players and he shoulders part of the blame. He has a big role, but for you to have the hubris to do that. And then to the next year to have a t- have defenses playing like a high school front against you, essentially, and you take nine and a half weeks to figure out that you could just run a different scheme than wide zone that would work. And it took you that long. That tells me. And then like his screenplays are really great. It's just to me, it's like he uses them. Enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Yeah, It's like (laughs) when one works, when one works, he then he has to use like four more within the next five plays. It's just like, yeah. So, and I've heard someone told me this was secondhand. So it wasn't, it's speculation, but someone told me that players have complained about McVay to an extent that he tends to see them as video game pixels and not necessarily as players to work around. So while the Cooper Cup example is really cool, I thought Cooper Cup was the most impressive press man release guy at the Senior Bowl when I saw him. And he used his hands and feet really well on tape. So maybe he doesn't do that as well in the pros. But the fact that they're not giving him the opportunities because they're they're able to use him in a different in a more creative way is really is really awesome. And I, I think, you know, listen, I think the pup agrees. So I think that we're good <laughs> from that from that perspective. But and, you know, Jacob Harris is another guy that if he can have a strong preseason maybe they can use him as a matchup um winner 
with his deep speed because I still think he's more of a wide receiver than he is a tight end. But of course, the Rams think differently. But to me, there's a lot of interesting dynamics going around with them, even within the past week where mm-hmm. you would say, I'm interested to see this Sean McVay development now more than ever. But moving. Yes. Yeah. So moving. No, I agree. Yeah. I think, I think, I think he is one of the most fascinating figures in the NFL because um, I think he is sort of entering almost like his third act as a coach. And the crazy thing is like, I mean, listen, like record wise, he's one of the best, you know, yeah. they're, they're, they've won consistently. And I think he's actually been smart in terms of his timing, um, you know, we don't have to turn this into the Sean McVay cast, but I think some of his decisions have been really good of like, when do I move on from Wade Phillips and when do I change things defensively? Like as a full field coach, I think he's good, been pretty good. But, you know, the offensive system thing is a great – the pixels on a video game is a great way uh, of putting it. You know, some of these coaches I think want um, – want like autonomy and want just want the quarterback to be it's like the Kirk Cousins thing right and like why Kyle Shanahan has been so drawn to like a Kirk Cousins type or whatever that's why we had this whole BS discussion about damn Mac Jones like being the third overall pick is because historically those coaches just want the facilitator to take their painting and make it a reality you know make it into the masterpiece or whatever um but I think Maybe you could say that just like Kyle Shanahan, is clear, Kyle Shanahan clear is like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I need some of the maximizer, and he views that as Trey Lance. Maybe Sean McVay views Matthew Stafford as the maximizer, but it might be more to it than just uh, let me get a different quarterback in here. And also, like, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna criticize Goff, well, it's like, listen, Sean McVay, like, you're the one that gave him that contract. Like, if you thought he was just another dude that um, could facilitate your offense, then why'd you sign him to the contract in the first place? And it was like eight, was it like eighteen months between contract and trade? That's such a quick like flip yeah. that I mean, and because I think the hardest thing is like from a human element standpoint, we talk about like, well, you just just don't pay Jared Goff. Like, just let him go, you know? Like, but these guys are human beings. And, you know, if players in the, in the, in the locker room, like, like Jared Goff, uh, you know, and, and want him around, like, you, you, maybe that comes into play too. So I don't know. I think he's fascinating entering his, like, third act as a coach. Like, cause I think this is where his legacy, quote unquote, will be, like, cemented with whatever this offense becomes now under, Matthew Stafford I think it's more than just like take out Jared Goff sub in Matthew Stafford and like we're ready to go like we're ready to roll I think there also has to be some like look in the mirror moments from McVay himself like you're mentioning and like where can I actually adjust because I don't think I I think the 2018 season the way that ended with that Super Bowl was such a I I think was like a, a clear sign some adjustments need to be made um, have there been that many adjustments? I don't really think so. No, you know? I don't really think so. So now, is it, are there going to be more adjustments made beyond just let's sub in a new quarterback? I think that has to be one of the biggest questions for LA. Yeah, and it's like, you know, McVay analytically, I, Dwayne McFarlane and I had a conversation about this recently, and we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, on an upcoming podcast. But analytically, he's one of the best in the NFL. Um, yeah. you know, when you look at a lot of the things that they do efficiency wise, but the thing is, is that if it's not working out on the scoreboard, um, in terms yeah. of win loss, then what? And, and I kind of feel like that when I look at McVay, we have to remember, I studied Jerry Goff in college and I thought he was a very tough pocket quarterback who really read pressure well. Now I've seen you see instances that are completely different than that in yeah. at this level the Miami game is like a perfect oh, example yeah. of that. But at the same time at the same time I look at the way that this team has set things up and if you've created an offense that everyone can predict, I don't care if you're Tom Brady in the pocket. If they, <laughs> you know, if everyone can, you know, look at Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. He had no offensive line last year and the and the and the wide receivers for the Buccaneers were going crazy watching Patrick Mahomes nearly complete passes. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, under yeah. heavy pressure, but basically was like not productive at all. Um no. so when you when you take that dynamic in it and say he went into Jeff Fisher's quote unquote high school offense according to Todd Gurley to Sean McVay's <laughs> and now we're looking at 
both of these offenses are simplistic in certain ways. One's more been way more effective than the other, but this one's getting caught up to. It's not going to be as simple as, I don't think we're going to see Jared Goff with those receivers in Detroit light it up. Yeah. So it's not going to be that clear of an answer. And I don't think we're going to see um, Matthew Stafford and and Sean McVay get in a fight you know, over control right. over things. I don't think it's going to be that extreme. But I am fascinated to see whether we see that Goff gets a little bit more. Um, we look at him and go, you know, maybe we were too harsh on him and maybe we weren't harsh enough on McVay. So this year we'll tell that. But um, moving forward, Seattle. A favorite of yours has always been Tyler Lockett. I'm I'm kind of of the opinion without looking at the data that Tyler Lockett helped DK Metcalf more last year than DK Metcalf helped Tyler Lockett. And I'm thinking that Dwayne Eskridge, when he comes into camp, if he can continue to play like he did in OTAs and provide that vertical element both inside and outside, that we're going to see Metcalf go from number five in fantasy to somewhere in the top 15, 20. And we're going to see Lockett inches way back up to being, I mean, he's already been like, in that 8 to 11 range anyway. He was just far less efficient last year. But I think we're going to see him go back to being more efficient with the deep game with that. What are your thoughts on the Seattle um, wide receiving core this year? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Metcalf and Lockett might be the best receiver duo in the NFL. And I actually think most of what what happened to them last year um, was an offensive design problem. And I know Metcalf has actually talked about this too, from like, a, you know, they, we were too vertically inclined last year, basically. Like teams started to figure us out because I mean, even said like, it's like the gripe of Seahawks Twitter is like, they're just run, run, play action, pass, third down, like try to shoot, try to shoot it deep. Like Go that's on. all they've been. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Try to, that's all they've been through the Pete Carroll era. Um, and, you know, Schottenheimer, I think was very, was like a Russ guy in a way that he was trying to redesign things for um, the vertical game and everything like that with, uh, with the offense. But I also look at it in a way that they, I agree with DK. I think they did become incredibly predictable. I think they were too vertically inclined. Um, You know, part of it too, like Lockett's fantasy inconsistency problem last year was that he had a quarterback problem for parts of the, parts of the season last year Russ didn't play great to end last year I mean great timing by Russ to uh you know initiate this whole like my teammates aren't helping me out campaign to kind of cover up the fact that he didn't finish the season very well um and I don't think I don't think that's anything more than just a blip but I also think you know to kind of bring it back to the Rams offense I think some of the answers even if McVay hasn't been great about adjusting beyond that like some of the answers that that offense provides its quarterbacks you know Russ has never really had that I think from um, like an offensive design perspective and I actually think Lockett will be a pretty crucial part of bringing that over it from you know Shane Waldron and that Rams coaching tree to Seattle because I think Lockett is not just a vertical burner, which is what you'd think about from like an inconsistent week to week producer. Um, You know, he's a guy that can create plenty of those layups can create that separation inside and out is like a vertical burner from the inside, but also can create those separate, create separation on digs and slants, the interior breaking routes that, you know, I think this offense just has to get better from like a let's matriculate down the field from a passing game standpoint, instead of, run run vertical shot run run vertical shot run vertical shot run like type of thing that they've been through the last few years with schottenheimer and russell wilson and everything so you know whether that brings metcalf's deep target percentage down or something like that maybe but i also think that metcalf is a full field receiver as well i think he's really developed um excellently since his rookie year where uh and even what people like what people thought about him like you were you were pretty um you were pretty in on Metcalf coming into the NFL too like because he because and I I know you know this like he's great off the line of scrimmage he's great at being aggressive against press coverage I think that's why he's like a Des Bryant type of receiver who's just even if he's not the craftiest route runner or anything he's so physically imposing and so physically dominant that you know, Metcalf's reception perception numbers are great. Same with like a guy like Des Bryant, even though Des was never some refined route runner or anything like that. He's just overwhelmingly um, too much of a physical specimen. So I think both of those guys would actually benefit a lot from more layups coming into this offense. And 
I think the gap between, you know, Metcalf's ADP and Lockett's ADP, basically because like the raw volume numbers were not different at all last year. I think that gap will close, um, whether it's just Metcalf coming down a few spots or Lockett going up several spots. Um, Lockett's like just so he's way, way, way too underrated coming into this year for, I think, kind of silly reasons. Yeah. And I laugh about what you talk about with Wilson because it's like if Cam Newton and Andrew Luck were like, you know, talking about the beginning of their career and how they had to create so much on their own. Russell Wilson would probably be like, hold my beer, fellas. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. He's still yeah. doing it. <laughs> so this for Cam, at least for Cam. I mean, it's just unfortunate that like his arm basically fell off yeah. because of all the, the what happened. Um, but at least towards the end of uh, his tenure there in Carolina, they had guys like McCaffrey. They had guys like Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore who are just like layup creators, you know, Curtis Samuel, great separator, more great after the catch. McCaffrey, obviously, so useful out of the backfield. Um, you know, I guess basically Russ is sick of it at this point. And I and I totally validate on that, that like it, it must be so irritating um, constantly running deep shots or whatever. And we'll see. Maybe some of that is Russ, yeah. though. And I think this will be a good experiment uh, coming into this yeah. year. Yeah. And I think I, I'm, I would posit that Seattle's fan base overreacted a bit because if you take a quarterback and you basically um you basically have zombies chasing him pretty much on every play um yeah Yeah. you're going to your first instinct is probably when you hear a noise to kind of jump and and break the pocket now i don't think he's his awareness has been so good in so many respects that i think that if you give him you know five or six games of great pass protection maybe even not that much, maybe even three or four, you could see him do a better job of staying in the pocket when he needs to because he can trust his guys to do what they're supposed to do. But, you know, so because he hasn't taken hits as badly Mm -hmm. as some of these guys. I mean, he's taken a lot of hits, but he hasn't hasn't been killed in the way that some of these guys have that alters their perception. But who are some guys, you can be one guy, can be anybody that comes to mind, that you would just say, let's throw the caution flag, wave the caution flag a little bit about them that that folks may be excited about, but j- they just don't live up to kind of the word on the street about them. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what your thoughts are were about Jalen Rager coming into the NFL, but uh, pretty problematic rookie season for him. I've I've dropped this stat a few times, uh, going around making the rounds or whatever. But he had the second worst success rate versus man coverage I've ever charted, and that's dating back to 2014. Um, he's a player that I hope I hope they find a role for him going forward because I do think he can be like he's explosive um, but man some of the route running in his rookie year was extremely extremely troubling you know that was a situation where things were really bad in Philly but I think he created those a lot of those problems for himself where he just wasn't getting open just wasn't running uh, good routes you know honestly just no technical understanding there of the position at all. I, I think it'll be interesting to watch Devontae Smith and what he is able to do in Philadelphia. I like that. I like him a lot as a prospect and, and we'll sort of see what happens there. Um, another, like the, I think the most fascinating trio of receivers to think about right now, and probably nobody else agrees with me on this, but because it's like a little bit of a deeper pull, but the Jaguars right now are so interesting because DJ Clark, DJ Chark, 2019 reception perception, very encouraging. Like not anything like a like all the optimism I just talked about with like Brandon Ayuk as a rookie, like that was electric. But like Chark's 2019, pretty good. But like encouraging in terms of like okay, he could be like a pretty good starter in the league. Maybe not like a future number one receiver. Um, I remember last year there was similar conversation about. Um, like Terry McLaurin and D- DJ Chark going in the same area of drafts. Like, which one would you rather have? And it's like, oh, give me a break. Like, it's Terry McLaurin. Like, that guy's a future superstar to me. Um, DJ Chark, pretty good starter, whatever. 2019 reception, perception. 2020, really bad. I mean, and I, I don't know whether it's injury or I know because he played hurt a lot last year. If he just didn't have a very good season. I really don't know. But the numbers took a pretty big drop off from 2019 to 2020 to the point that I'm a little bit more open to maybe Chark gets usurped by a guy like Marvin Jones, who just consistently outkicks his ADP is like the consummate great number two receiver that could be a real reliable presence for the guy 
like Trevor Lawrence. Um, Checks in the mail. Marvin Jones. Yeah, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, you're welcome. Marvin (laughs) Jones is like just – he's been the exact same guy in reception perception. Basically, all his tenure from the last year in Cincinnati to his final year in Detroit, which, by the way, like nobody – plays like a full five-year contract like it's a five-year contract and plays it out but i think that's like just so emblematic of his game i think he's kind of underrated right now and like that the gap between chark and jones could really close um from like an adp versus fantasy finish standpoint depending on what happens with chark like i um I'm sure you're not an Urban Meyer guy because, like, who is an Urban Meyer guy, right? No. Like, but uh, yeah, nobody, like, nobody's an Urban Meyer guy. Uh, but um, when he came out and said the thing about Chark, like, basically, you know, you you're looking at a big guy that played small last year. There was a lot of like kerfuffle on fantasy Twitter about like how could how could Urban Meyer say this and like blah 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 blah. And like, I get it. Maybe don't say it publicly, but. At the same time, not wrong. Like he, he's not yeah. wrong. He was, he, he's not wrong. To, he might have. You can argue he was wrong to say it, but his assessment, not wrong. That was basically like exactly what DJ Chark was last year. And then you've got Lavisca Chenault, and you know he's not a guy that when you look at him from, you know, you log into receptionperception.com, you go to the sortable data tables like burst press man coverage or anything like that. Not not like the the best in that. But when you look at him from like a potential role standpoint. And I know people freaked out about when they Travis drafted Travis ETN. Well, what's going to happen to LaVisca Chenault, you know, because it looks like Travis ETN is going to be this gad, the gadget slasher guy. And I'm like, Hey, maybe LaVisca Chenault doesn't get pigeonholed in this stupid gadget role. Like I don't want him taking rush attempts. I don't, I mean, sure. Get him some rush attempts occasionally, but he doesn't need to be up there with like 40 or something this year. I don't want him just getting pop gun six yard targets. Like I think that he could be great in like a Juju Smith Schuster type of role, big slot win on digs. Cause I actually think he's got pretty good vertical presence and he's already such a badass in contested situations. He's already such a badass in yards after catch situations. To me, I actually wouldn't be surprised if LaVisca Chenault goes on a pretty similar development trajectory of a guy like dj moore because i think moore wasn't great against press man coverage early on in his career now i think he's stabilized to the point that like he's a pretty good like he's a real good starting outside receiver now he just needs a quarterback to sort of meet him halfway um i don't know the panthers receivers are another interesting one to talk about from last year but from like a usage and deployment standpoint i'm sort of rambling now but basically long way of saying i think lavisca could be um you know He's in sort of this gadget role as a rookie, kind of similar to how DJ Moore was used, like get him some pop gun targets, get him yards after the catch, then starts to develop more and more chops uh, and eventually could be that big time receiver. I don't know. He's a he's a very, very fascinating player. And I think like preseason usage and early season usage is going to dictate a lot for him, because if we see LaVisca Chenault lining up inside, getting a ton of routes against zone coverage, but actually getting you know, his a dot or whatever is up there at like 10 or 11, as opposed to like five, six, six, that'd be great. That would be great for a player like that. Yeah. I love what you're saying. And it's interesting because Chenault to me, um, his breaks were very good. He and DJ Moore have that in common. Both he and DJ Moore, I thought really run excellent breaks, especially inside like you said, yep. of the dig routes, because I thought Moore was a better breaker of routes than Samuel. Samuel may be better at getting separation, but I thought that Moore has better technique to break and gain that separation at the top of his stem and therefore get yards after the catch um, and was cleaner with those those types of routes. And Chenault, I saw on the outside, do a nice job on hitches and comebacks to that degree and some out routes as well. Um, but I, I'm with you. I mean, and it's funny because both those guys I see as flanker types who can play in the slot, like either way, like the yeah. big, the big inside receivers you mentioned. So yeah, I love, I love what you're saying there. And Chenault is a guy that I, I absolutely, ex- I'm hoping that they don't get it wrong with him in terms of how to use him and, and make yeah, the most of too. what they have available. Um, is there, is there anybody that you just think is, this can be open to any position, but um, it, whether you want to talk more receivers or talk multiple guys, 
anybody that you just really like this year that that maybe hasn't busted out yet but you think is is underrated um you know on that level and then i'll i'll throw in a couple guys that i'd love to get your thoughts on because i've written about emmanuel sanders being a better fit than john brown and buffalo and just from looking at the route tree but i haven't looked at the reception perception on either player but from studying the film let's start with that studying the film with the those guys I noticed that Emmanuel Sanders was better manipulating zone coverage and being able to create separation on those types of routes that John Brown wasn't quite as good at. And last year, you know, Sanders was dealing with quarterbacks who just couldn't get the ball to him for him to be able to run after the catch. Yeah. You know, but he's still a master craftsman along the lines of Marvin Jones to me. And I'm just curious if you feel like he has a chance in Buffalo to be what, people thought he would be in new Orleans before drew Brees's arm fell off. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I actually, I mean, I love John Brown. Like I'm a big John Brown fan. Um, and I, I actually think he could have a great year with the Raiders this year. Um, almost because in a way I believe from your, your, your point about like the route tree and distribution is interesting and like well taken because I actually think John Brown is almost in a way too similar to Stefan Diggs. Um, because I, and I think like basically Stefan Diggs is the best version of John Brown. I mean, I think Diggs is like the best receiver in football, so that's not a stretch to say that or whatever. Um, but I think he's like the best, the souped up version of John Brown. Um, and in a way what the bills offense could benefit from is a guy like Emmanuel Sanders and really kind of what Cole Beasley was last year. I mean, Cole Beasley is a whole nother discussion point. Like, um i don't even know like is he gonna play this year probably but like we'll see you know and in in that way i think someone like sanders why the bills probably looked at it and like oh this is basically it was like a one for one slop a swap you know you know one one for one like take out john brown and just drop in manny sanders and i think they look at sanders as a guy who's going to give them more um separation on shorter routes more uh just layups against zone as a flanker i think I think Brown is a true X receiver. Like Stefan Diggs is a yes. small, true X receiver, you know? And in that way, they kind of already have that player. So let's bring in a little more diversity with a flanker slot hybrid and a guy that we can rip zone coverage with in Emmanuel Sanders, who I think is definitely still got it. And then, and then you're looking at a player um, like Gabe Davis, who we'll see what happens with him. You know, I, I don't, he's a guy that people are very, very excited about, but I think it's a long way away from becoming yes. um, a starting receiver. I think he's a long way away from that. Definitely. He's going to make some big plays just like he made some big plays last year um, as like a vertical receiver. But if he ends up being their four or their distant three, that I think number one wouldn't be surprising. And number two is probably good for him long-term. Like I'm not trying to, I think it would have been a huge downgrade if they had just said, let's kick John Brown to the curb and make no additions, put sand or uh, Gabe Davis as that number two receiver. That would have been pretty problematic for me. And I think a regression could have happened for this overall bills offense. Uh, So I I agree with your point about Sanders there. I think he, is a pretty key addition. Yeah, Gabe, Gabe Davis to me is kind of like a slightly better version of Atlanta Falcons former receiver Michael Jenkins, if you remember oh, Mike Jenkins. Throwback. You know, it <laughs> yeah, is a yeah. very big throwback. Yeah. But tall, you know, big guy who can has build-up speed. And if you get, yes. him, get his momentum moving in the right direction, he can be dangerous when he catches the ball that leads him downfield. But he's not going to create a lot of separation for himself without no, longer developing yeah. plays so yeah who's someone who are some somebody that under the radar that you're just like keep an eye on this guy i'm not saying he's gonna break out or you can say he is but someone that you're just really intrigued with i'm really interested in jacoby myers in new england um his profile and reception perception should hit the site whenever nfl game pass gets its act together <laughs> And I can finish his damn sample. Um, I should have a profile done on him. I think he's interesting. Like to me, he stands out as the best route runner and the best separator among guys like Nelson Aguilar and the other players they have there right now. He's depending on what happens with the quarterback situation. I think he's an interesting player. That's like a deeper cut in terms of someone that could have, um, you know, maybe not a breakout season, but 
is sort of uh, is under the radar for sure right now. And then a couple guys that are sort of going in like that eight to 10 round range in fantasy right now. I think Michael Gallup is still underrated. Um, okay. I think Gallup is their the Cowboys best X receiver. I think he's their best receiver against press coverage right now. Now maybe CD lamb becomes that guy. Cause I think lamb is a stud and I, I want to see, I want to see these guys, all three of them, Cooper included, move around a lot more. And, you know, I just talked to Charles Robinson, our, our national writer for Yahoo. He spent some time up there at Cowboys camp recently. And, you know, he was mentioning that, like, CeeDee Lamb looks like he's going to be that guy that they play on the outside more. I don't know why I don't know why they had such a limited, narrow tree for CeeDee Lamb last year. They were really just like – they basically just had Gallup at X, Lamb at slot, and Cooper at, at flanker and just went to work. I think all those guys should move around. Like I think Cooper should be in the slot more. I think I think CeeDee Lamb could be a true number one receiver on the outside. And Gallup to me, like the reason people are very up in arms about the fact that, like, well, look at the five game sample, which by the way, if you're saying look at the five game sample, like you've already lost me at that point. As like <laughs> this this tells the this tells the story of this player uh, and who they are or whatever. Um, the fact that he wasn't consistently productive when Dak Prescott was in there putting up big numbers. It's like, well, he's also running the most difficult routes. He's also running downfield. He's going against press man coverage more than those other two receivers because of where they line up. I think Gallup is a guy who could really out like he's just so, so much more affordable in fantasy than all these other two receivers. It's, it's crazy. The gap there. And then I'm curious what your thoughts are on Michael Pittman, because I think Pittman, um, he fits in a in a bucket in terms of reception perception, you know, with like a 71% success rate versus man coverage. That like that's a very good indicator, but it's not like let me bang on the table, Brandon Ayuk level of like, I think this guy's gonna develop into a stud. But the fact that he did have some solid showing as a rookie, some pretty decent reception perception returns. Um, and I think he's so far down ADP boards right now, but could easily walk into like a hundred targets, you know, uh, with the 49ers. I mean, with the, uh, with the Colts this year, of course, it's like, what's a hundred targets from Carson Wentz. I don't know, but I think there's a role there for him as a guy who could potentially break out this year. Um, but is not like is going in a range right now where I'm cool saying like, yeah, he could break out from where he is. Um, but I, I'm still not, I'm not like Allen Robinson, 2014, 2015 bullish, if that makes sense. It absolutely does, because I think he's a more limited route runner than Allen Robinson at this stage of his game, or at least how he was used. Um, a lot of the success yeah. that I saw, at least anecdotally from studying his film every week was those crossing routes and over routes. Like yes. he was getting wide open on those, which again are man beaters. Um, but I think he's quicker than you can't just characterize. Just to, put a, just to put a point on that, I can I can back you up on on this uh, completely. When we're looking at his rookie season, forty three point six percent of his sampled routes were either a dig or a slant. You know, like he those crossing routes and and again, like he had a ninety one percent success rate on those slant patterns. Like that's a very that's a great number. Yes. And I actually so so but you know, he needs to develop further along the route tree than just those crossing plays. My theory on that, and you could tell me I'm an idiot for this, but like, uh, you know, you could tell me I'm an idiot for a lot of things, but <laughs> I think like, I think Pittman is more of a vertical receiver and is more of like a true X theoretically. I think last year he was just like, such, number one, he was banged up early to start last year. So maybe that's why they limited him in terms of his targets and stuff like that. And, you know, he came back, it was eventually a full-time player. But I think he was like also the the guy that Pittman should be is a very antithetical fit with a guy like what Philip Rivers was last year. And I don't think I'm going too far over my shoes to say like Philip Rivers' arm was in massive decline last year because he retired, right? Like right. I don't think that's a, a big stretch. And again, Carson Wentz aside, like more of a vertical passer would probably unlock more of Pittman going forward. I, I wonder, my theory is like that's why he ran – those type of routes so often because that's what you wanted with that version of Philip Rivers. Like it, I used to, it was so funny when people were like, yeah, Pittman's a big receiver. Like he'll be Philip Rivers is, you know, next Malcolm Floyd or Mike Williams. It's like, well, this is not 20 years ago, pal. Yeah. You know, like, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? I do completely. And when you watched Mike, when you watch Pittman at USC, you can certainly see the vertical skills in play that, 
prompted people to make that comparison without understanding the ramifications of the scheme fit with the with the Colts and their quarterback. So now that they have a quarterback who at least has the arm to get the ball downfield, now getting him to like be accurate, theoretically, you know, yeah. is a different story. But but Pittman is quick enough to be able to get that early separation on those passes where the sweet spot is for Carson. Wentz, which is generally in that 25 to 35 yard range. When he has to throw like over 40 yards, that's when like it's scattershot. Yeah. So this yeah. might be good for him. And so I'm totally with you on on Pittman having a chance to grow and show more as a route runner. I think basically when Bills fans look at pictures of Gabriel Davis, you know, they need you and I to go, no, I'm sorry. That's Michael Pittman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. just happens to be wearing a similar looking jersey. Um, you know, <laughs> let, here's Gabriel Davis, you know, but I yeah. think that that's, that's some of that there. Um, you know, I'll add a postscript to this point and then I want to get in the talk a little bit about, um, you know, just some advice you can give some people who are, you know, analysts and, and, or people trying to grow their, their business within this type of industry. Um, but I'll, I'll add that I had a conversation with Fran Duffy a number of months ago when we were looking at um, Amon Ross St. Brown. He asked if we could look at Amon St. Brown together. Amon Ross St. Brown together. And when we did, he was telling me about how that, you know, he heard from the Eagles that when they had Jalen Rager uh, as a, a target for themselves on in the draft two years ago um, or last year, Gary, they called Gary Patterson and said, how did you use him? You know, talk, talk about him. He goes, well, we misused him. We, we didn't really have anybody who was a vertical threat who could go up and win the ball. And he was our be- one of our better athletes. So we used him that way. But that's not how he, really he should be used. And then the Eagles went right out and did the exact same thing in terms of yeah. how they used him. So, the, <laughs> so according, to Fran, according to Fran's sources, Fran is optimistic that they are going to use him differently this year in the way that they should have. Now, yeah. but that presumes also that Jalen Hurts is going to take that next step forward and uh, yeah. be more than a chuck and duck scrambler scramble kind of guy. And I think that while he'll be productive fantasy wise, it's still kind of it's still touch and go in terms of how much that development's going to be. So yeah, he's a late round flyer at best, I think, for fantasy. Um. You know, yeah, I mean, listen, you know, you and I both have started products from scratch. And I know that the advice that we've often both given people and a lot of people give is find something unique in the industry to do um, that, you know, that you can provide that's kind of unique to the industry and continue to work with that. But I would just love to hear your advice about, you know, from your perspective of starting putting this out on your own after you've licensed it other places. Cause I've done the licensing thing and then starting yeah. on your own and what you learned from that experience and maybe anything that you could share to new fantasy writers. Cause I see a lot of fantasy writers out there also who are kind of like, you know, they're very good with their social media game, but I'm just wondering if they have, you know, if they've developed the back end of it, because people want, I th- my concern is for some of them is that people are going to be, wow, they're entertaining. They're funny. They're, you know, they're, they have all these things. Let me go read their article. And then when they go read the article, they're like, I'm oh not, boy. I'm, I feel kind of, I kind of, you know, I feel like something was missing from that front end of the picture. Like they have the, they, they have the marketing down, but do they have the product? And that's yeah. the thing that like, so I'd love for you to comment on both of those, those type of topics. Yeah. I think with anything you have to understand what you want to be um, in the space and what kind of following and uh, what kind of audience and um, potential customers you want to sort of facilitate there and what you want to grow, uh, what, what you want to build, because and I say this as somebody that I, I feel like I have tried a lot of different things. Um, like I've always had reception perception as my base, like, a you know, something that I think I could fall back on. And I think I, honestly, like, I don't know that I ever would have had some of the other opportunities as I did. I mean, I don't know. I, saying I don't know is stupid because I know for a fact <laughs> based on my, <laughs> my hiring trajectory, like, right. Like who found me originally and brought me to NFL. Like, 
that was because of reception perception. It was something that stood out and something that at different times I wondered if I wanted to keep doing, but I, I knew that it was the thing that stood, stood out the most, you know? So I've always continued to do that and always continued to sort of um, grow that farm, right? Like continue to tend the soil there and everything to make it the product that it is now to the point that, I would love for that to honestly be the only thing I did, but we'll see, you know, what happens at some point, like that's, that's a ways off or whatever. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I think that also I've tried different things. Like I did that stupid hipsters bit with the NFL network. And like, I mean, that was great. It was so, I mean, it was fun. Right. But I knew even then, like, I'm not doing this forever, you know, but this is a way to get on. It's a means to an end, right? You also have to think about that from a, from an analyst perspective too. Like, are you doing this? Cause you want this to be the thing or are you doing this as a means to an end? Therefore, like I did not lean all the way into the, the hipsters bit with the NFL, but I leaned into it just enough to continue to get reps and continue to get, um, exposure on TV because I mean, this is the, if you're working, if you're working on video and I'm not, I'm not talking on video, like, you know, firing up a YouTube channel or whatever, like, I mean, you should do that. That's good. And you should do that. You should do those things. But like, if you're going to try to get like a producer to put you on TV, it's tough. It's not the same. It's a very, very different skill set. So even if I went on there and played this stupid character for NFL Network, by the end of my time there, they were then letting me do actual NFL analysis on shows like NFL Now and Up to the Minute and stuff like that. Um, so you have to grow in that way. And like I saw that as just a means to an end. Um, not that I was going to be doing that forever. Even can though I it was you, fun. Can I ask you a quick yeah, question yeah, about that? Because I've said this without you on the air numerous times over the years. And I don't think I've ever said this to you at least – or maybe I've never said it publicly to you, but like one of the things I've always said is I admired you for doing stuff like that because <laughs> you have a knack for being able to share with the audience. We're having fun here doing this. Don't take me too seriously because yes. I'm not taking me seriously doing yes. this. Like we can both yeah. roll our eyes a little bit and just have fun yeah. with this. And without me like, denigrating it and making it look like I don't want to do yeah. this crap at all. You know, right. you actually made it fun. And I don't know many people who could do that. Cause I know if it were me one, I wouldn't get on the air and number two <laughs> and number two, I would probably do something stupid that would get me off the air and lose me opportunities from that perspective because I don't, you know, well, it's a different story, but it's, but the thing is, is that I admired that about you. And I think that that's something that especially folks who are starting in this industry should pay attention to that because your ability to work as a team member, but do it in a way where you just, you just had this vibe where it was like, I'm way more than this. And everyone could see it if they, anyone who would choose to see that could see that. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, two things. Our good friend Eric Soner always used to say, uh, take your work seriously, but not yourself. Like, yeah. don't take yourself too seriously. Like, we're talking about football here. Yeah. And put a pin in that for a second, too, because um, to to the second point there, like, yeah, I think I, I knew and I was comfortable with myself enough that, like, I knew that I was not just some guy that could play a hipster character on NFL Network or even the, some of the stuff I still do for Yahoo, like – um, the, the, the fantasy football survival kit videos, like I'm literally just going on there and reacting to somebody's tweet. It takes no, like, and I mean, I have I've, you, like, and this is again, like, I know, you know, the people who follow me know that I bust my ass. like can put all the time into reception perception. Like I've watched 70,000 routes over the last like six or seven years, however long I've been doing this, you know, like thousands of hours into this product. Right. I know my stuff. I know about football. I know, I know what I'm talking about, but like, I'm, I know that and I'm comfortable enough with that, that like I can go on and do a five minute video for Yahoo where all I'm doing is, you know, reacting, BSing and reacting to tweets. You're right? entertaining. Like, but yeah. I, I'm entertained. Right. But it, it's entertainment. It's just, a th and yeah. same with the hipsters thing. Like there were certainly people back then who, who, 
tweeted at me or maybe even thought like this is beneath you or whatever. And even if I, I would, would, I would never think of it like that because this, this is, it's just for one, it's just for fun. Yeah. And yeah, it's not serious. Like I don't, and had I looked at myself then and been like, I know so much about football. Like I know so much about, I'm so, I'm so much better than this, this, or this like thing, or I could do, I could do this person's job right now. If you put me in that chair, um, the people in the building don't know that the people in the building don't, don't care about what your Twitter followers think about you. Like you need to prove yourself and don't act like you're better than things when yes. your resume and your career don't, don't say that. So yeah. that's, that's one part of it. And also too, like, take your work seriously, not yourself. Like this is not serious work. Like it's okay to just have fun. And I love, I love to break down success rates and percentiles and reception perception, but like everybody else does not, you know, like yeah. the people who are going to buy the RSP or the people who are going to buy a reception perception subscription, which you should do both of those things. Um, you, you, you're, you're not, everybody is going to be at that level, but you still want to grow you're, you want to be able to do both things, right? Like, I think the survival kit video is fun and people like it because it's just shooting off, like shooting from the hip, you know, it's yeah. like off the cuff. It's just reacting to, to, to what we're all thinking in the moment. And that's okay. Like, let me tell you what, if I get in a debate with my friends about football, I'm not going to drop them somebody's weird giant color coded chart. And I say this to somebody that has color coded charts on his website. So, you know, like it's just be approachable and be normal, but also just understand that you, you've got to prove yourself before people are going to give you things, I guess, if that makes any sense. Like had I, had I said like, Oh, this hipsters bit is beneath me. I would have lost so many more opportunities at NFL potentially never would have gotten the job at Yahoo and just washed out, you know, washed out as just another low level editor there, which is all I was hired to do. Right. Like when I got the job at NFL, I was just hired to be like a low level editor, but you take opportunities and you just try to prove yourself along the way. Yeah. And I think it's a great lesson and I think it's worthwhile because you can, it's easy. It's easy when you when you're ambitious to and trying to make it in this industry that it's a very competitive industry to feel like you've got to take what you're doing seriously. But but that having that balance, as you noted and what Eric had said, you know, and echoing what he had said makes total sense from that perspective. And I and I come to think of it and I think, yeah, I kind of do that a little bit, too, because I think about the audible on a much lower level of like from a national sphere. And I'm the goofball on that Thursday night show. I mean, I'm the one dressing up and, you know, and to, to show what a typical Steelers <laughs> yeah. fan looks like or, or making, I or think being that's the a perfect guy in the example. peanut gallery. Yeah. I think that's a perfect example. Cause like, I, li I mean, I don't listen as much anymore because I'm, sure. you know, I'm a busy man, but like I've listened to the audible over the years and like, I will listen to it occasionally as well. Like, and you've always had that, like every, if they watched one episode of, the audible you'd be entertained by matt waldman and then maybe you'd go and be like oh my god look at all this information though he he provides but like you don't need to come on there every week and read your notes from the rsp about a player no. like that's ridiculous and same thing like i've tried to just think about this show like i've i've dropped a few like reception perception nuggets here and there but for the most part i've tried to just have like an entertaining conversation with you about players yeah so it's like it, different mediums are different and um real insightful thought there but like yeah it's just different <laughs> you're different on different okay, platforms Yogi. you know yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 right like so it's it's um i don't know you i think that's a great example of like it's the place where you like let your hair down a little bit more um yeah. and and like that's good we should all have that yeah because it's an intro and i think seeing that that way and and there's a line i can certainly tell stories about why I didn't take certain opportunities because I felt like it was going to keep me from providing the best possible work that I needed to keep it growing. You know, that was going to get in the way of that. And so, yeah, but that's a risk too, you know, because I could argue that if I did take a Roto World gig earlier and wrote the column for Fox Sports that was there and said, well, yeah, they want 500 words or short, short stuff. And I don't do that in this space very often. And that's not how I got readers. 
I could easily, I could argue that maybe I would have gotten where I am now sooner if I took that because of the opportunities. But then I could also argue that maybe I would have gone further away from what it is that I really wanted to do if I had success with that. So it's one of those things that it's just the decisions can be hard, um, you know, from that standpoint. But finding that balance to knowing that having fun appeals to your audience and they they your audience as my as the wiser person in my family would always say is that your audience wants to know a little bit more about you you know your audience wants to know a little bit more about you within reason and 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 so they can relate to you and have some fun and 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 realize that you're someone they'd want to have a beer with or or have barbecue with or whatever it is that your thing is you know and i mean i i look at matt's instagram and and see that green egg and i and i'm thinking yeah i could uh I could throw down with that next time, you know, I, I, we get, we get together. Um, would definitely like to see that, but listen, folks, you know, um, please, you know, I do yourselves a favor, do yourselves a favor and go to reception perception. It's one of the finest products out there in terms of football analysis. Matt, you know, is very, um, focused on a position, you know, provides you both an analytical and film approach. Um, I couldn't recommend it more. Um, and so, and it's a, it's a fantastic site and service that he's going to provide you. Um, so, you know, thanks again to Matt for joining this show as always. And of course, you know, the RSP, the newsletter came out on for July, you know, and if you haven't gotten your projections and rankings, you know, listen, folks are, I've soft sold it this year, but the reviews have been great. The next update will Good. be in August. Um, so far, that's going great, and you know we're going to get rolling here with some with some great guests who are going to try and compete with Harmon here on the horizon in terms of <laughs> what luck. we got going on here. Um, but you know he throws down a good gauntlet, so it'll be fun for them to rise to the challenge here. Um, so on behalf of Mr. Harmon, I'm Mr. Waldman. You guys have a good week.